0: Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be talking about the Thunders' latest game against the Portland Trail Blazers, the rotations going into this one, the stars from the game, what it means for the tank race moving forward, and what you can expect. For this group, as they go into the closing portion of the frame. I want to talk about a couple of new injuries as well to the team, and I want to round it all out with a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. But guys, we have to start out with the game yesterday. Oklahoma City going up against the Portland Trailblazers. And OKC has had an extensive injury list for about the last three to four weeks. I remember asking Dagnault, you know, if he was interested or if Presty was interested in uh, like a hardship exception, and he really didn't show much affection towards it. Clearly it stayed the same because the list has continued to grow going into this game. They had nine different players that were unavailable for the game. As for new additions, you had The original cases, Baisley was ruled out for the game, Trey Mann was ruled out for the game, and SGA was ruled out for the game. You were able to get Jeremiah Robinson Earl back after two months of rehabbing on his metatarsal injury, but that's all you are getting. It was not a trade-off where you were kind of on that winning side in terms of numbers. So they had to get a lineup of eight players out for the game. And for the Portland Trailblazers... They had to do the exact same thing. They fielded an eight-man lineup. They had 11 players listed out for the game. And the starting units are just something special here. You know, um, you you know already that the Trailblazers are kind of in a rough spot. Like, they're looking to rebuild to close the year out. Dame has been out all season. Nurkic just got shut down. So it makes sense why their lineup's not, like, looking crazy good anymore. Same goes for the Thunder. Like, we know this team has a lot of just young guys that get minutes. But let me rattle off the starting unit. And for Oklahoma City, you got Vit Kredschi and Teo Maladone running the two guard spots in the starting lineup. That's the first career start, uh, start for Kredschi, by the way. But once you move beyond that, you have Aaron Wiggins and Alexei Pokushevsky at the 3-4, and four, and Isaiah Roby rounding it out at the five spot on the flip side here's what the Blazers had to offer they had Brandon Williams and Keon Johnson now Brandon Williams he's been balling out this year by the way but he doesn't even have a photo on the NBA website so keep that in mind but they had Williams and they had Keon Johnson at the three Elijah Hughes was starting CJ Ellaby was the starting power forward and Drew Eubanks rounded it out at the five spot. And to make it better, Portland, they only had one true big man on the game in Eubanks. They didn't have anybody else in that starting unit or the second unit that would be considered a serviceable uh, serviceable big man. So for one time this year, OKC actually walked in with the advantage in terms of height. You have a seven-footer in Poku. You have Roby, who's been playing starting center for the last two years. And you get the return of Jeremiah on paper. It looked like Oklahoma City had the upper hand. And when you looked at sportsbooks, that was the case. DraftKings Sportsbook had the Thunder as a -a one-and-a-half-point game favorite. And as you all know, it's not too often you see the Thunder walking in um, with high expectations just due to roster construction and then obviously the teams that you're pitted against up in the West. But going into the first quarter... This was very interesting. Both coaches just let the flow of the game go out. It took over six minutes until the first whistle was blown for a timeout. It, you know, that came off of a coaching one, obviously, but six minutes came uninterrupted and it led to just back and forth play. In that six minute stint, there were eight lead changes and one tie until Oklahoma City got on a run. Eight points unanswered, stuck them up twenty-one to fifteen, and by the end of the first quarter, they were up thirty-four to twenty-eight. When you're looking at how OKC was on the attack in the first quarter, look no further than the interior. Isaiah Roby went five of five in the first. He had twelve points and four rebounds. And on the flip side, Portland they didn't have any centers really doing much work for them they had to go to Brandon Williams he hit four three-pointers in the period he led them with 12 points but obviously that's not going to get you past OKC when they had the inside out play rocking and rolling and going into the second quarter OKC remained up they damn near had a wire-to-wire lead in the second quarter and then they faltered. There was a 6-0 run for Portland to close the period. And it put them up 61 to 58 going into halftime. And for Portland, they were just shooting it from downtown. And really this goes for both sides. But Portland, that's where they were finding the most success. They shot 10 of 23 on triples. In the first 24 minutes that's 43.5 percent, by the way and Ben McElmore had 16 points Brandon Williams had 15 so you had the 12 points in the first quarter for Brandon Williams and then Ben McElmore basically turned into the 2k14 version of himself where you know if you ever played my team you know he could do it at all all levels contact dunks three point shots he didn't have any dunks really but the three-point shots were still there. He went five of eight to pick up 13 points in the quarter, and now you have Portland up on OKC. For them, they were looking really towards Roby and Aaron Wiggins to start things. Wiggins had 15 points in the half. Roby had nothing in the second quarter, but that still gives him 12 on that slate. So if you're on that taking boat, you're probably pretty amped up for what you just saw there, right? Like, It's a close battle, but Portland had some separation. And going into the third quarter, it just continued to go around. There are four different lead changes to open the third quarter. But then Macklemore got right back into it. He had two consecutive three-point shots. They had a five-point lead with three minutes to go. And at the end of the third quarter, the Blazers had an 89-81 to lead. That's a pretty big lead considering it was just a pendulum damn near swinging back and forth in terms of the lead changes. That's the biggest lead we had up until that point and it just continued to sort of inflate as you got into the fourth quarter. Now, you saw the lead go up to 10, probably a tick or two into the fourth. And both sides, you know, they don't they don't really have a starting unit and a secondary unit just because you have eight players apiece majority of them are g league players it really doesn't matter that much guys are playing 35 to 40 minutes and that's just how it's going to be but you get into the home stretch of the game and okc starts revving up their engines unlike the trailblazers who have kind of just thrown players at the wall the last month okc has been doing this for the last two seasons you know they have Teo who was the minute leader last year Poku has had a significant role with this team Roby has been starting so they're kind of ingrained in the system already and they started to kind of get the feel of the game they went on a 5-0 run to cut that 10 point lead down to five and going into the final minute of play the game was shrunk down significantly This goes down to the 10-second mark in the game here. Oklahoma City is trailing by three points. You can go for that three-point shot to tie, or you can go right to the basket. They decided they would go inside. Isaiah Romy drove hard in there, got fouled, had two shots at the line, hit them both 112-113 to with 10 to play. Blazers call a timeout. Put in Ben McElmore for shooting purposes. Ball goes to Brandon Williams. He's at the line for two. Hits them both. 115 and 112 for the Blazers. 8.9 seconds to go. Oklahoma City has looked good from three in this game, you got to keep in mind. But, you know, with 8.9, no SGA, no Trey Mann, some murky waters you're stepping into. Ball goes in. It's at Isaiah Roby's fingertips. He's at the left wing at this point. He's kind of just surveying. Moving three ball for him. He drills it. Tie ball game, 6.2 seconds to go, 115 all. And if you were rooting for a Thunder loss, you were going ballistic. Roby had a career high in this game. He continued to pile it up in overtime, of course, but just him rising up in the clutch was ridiculous he was able to stack up 23 points and regulation here that obviously was the last bucket and for the blazers when they tried to attempt their game winner the shot was completely stuffed out it was a miss no more time for a rebound going into ot at 115 all and as you got into the extra five minutes Oklahoma City continued to carry on their tangent. Now Eubanks, he started out with a shot of his own, put up them you know two points. So you see a tiny margin that needs to be succumbed. It was easily wiped away though. Wiggins dropped three consecutive points for the Thunder. Teo hit a three-ball. Then you get another three from Roby with two to go. OKC's up 124. To 122 miss shot for the Blazers of course on the end side Roby's going down with a dunk next possession you get a Blazers hit back down to two points Roby comes down again he dunks it Roby had eight consecutive points in overtime here and he was able to kind of put those significant wounds into the Blazers he finished with 30 points on the game and he was the commanding reason why they won the game just saw a ton of attacks to the basket to close the game out wiggins he finished with the team's final four shots hit two free throws to ice the game and with 2.4 seconds to go the trailblazers had a 60 foot heave no dice oklahoma city completes the comeback they win this one 134 to 131 in terms of standings Still keeps them at fourth and reverse standings, moves them to 22 and 53 on the season, and the separation from the third spot to the fourth spot has grown. So I'm going to go into that in one second here. I'm going to go into the top players and kind of the top moments from this game in just a second here. But first, I want to let you guys know about my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook and the special offer they have going on for you all. College Hoops fans, join the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook. Turn your team's biggest victory into your own big win. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get to $100 in free bets if they do. It's that simple. If they win, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still join the College Hoops action with DraftKings Pools and everyone can play free pools all March long for a shot at a share of over $250,000 in prizes. Simply join a pool and answer questions like who will make it to the next round and who will hit the most three-pointers. Then, track your results. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code TBPN, bet $5 on any college hoops team to win, and get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 plus age requirement, restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Pivoting back to what we had on this game though. Oh my goodness, this is a big can of worms for tanking implications. It's one game, right? Like surface level, it's one game. But there's more levels to this, right? For Portland, they're inching a little bit closer up in the rankings. Is it significant? Truthfully, I don't think so. There's a five-game separation between OKC at four and the Blazers at pick number seven. But they play the play, uh, the Blazers again, actually, in the next week or so. And that's another game where Brandon Williams could very well be their starting scorer. And he's going to be their starting point guard probably as well. But yeah, that's not the big separation. The big deal is from the third to the fourth spot. That's where the odds shift a little bit. And there's now a two-game break between Detroit and OKC. Now, the Thunder actually play the Pistons at home on Friday. So this is just like the Magic game where depending on how the cards fall on the table maybe they can get their their game in to where they're back in the hunt, but they're going to really need that game if they want to secure top three odds. And what the top three odd does is it gives you the best chances at a number one pick in addition to a top four pick. 14% cut at number one and a 52.1% chance at pick in anywhere from one through four, really. Now, the one underlying one, of course, is the positioning. If you have the number one odds, worst you can do is pick number five, two, worst scenario is six, three, seven, four, eight. This is a class that really has four main players, so you know no one's really safe here, I guess you could call it, but there is a bit of a safety net uh, if you're going to be that fifth spot because you do get kind of the next best selection of that secondary tier in this draft class. But that does change a lot. You know, if you were rooting for the Blazers in this one, this was a straight-up heartbreaker because this was a one where the Blazers had it in the bag for about 40 minutes, you know. Maybe you could argue, like, the first quarter, shave it off, right? But, like, going into that fourth quarter, it seemed like it was theirs for the taking. They got the game up to 10. That was the largest lead of the game, by the way. And then it just got picked away. And it got picked away by Isaiah Roby aaron wiggins and Teo maladon Teo has kind of been pinned as like the josh hall of the tanking scenario this year where you know josh hall had that big 25 point game was able to get them the victory over the clippers and that obviously changed the outcome of some things and people have been kind of getting at Teo. he's dropped 20 points last three games and now roby is entering the conversation with a career high of 30 points gotta continue this though, Aaron Wiggins also had a career high, he finished the game with 28 points on the evening and he could not miss a free throw man, like in clutch time, yeah, he was not going to shank one and he ended up shooting 10 of 18 on this game, so the production from all three of them was spectacular, if this was a time where you know, playoff seating had already been determined... I'm sure the whole entire community would be stoked to see this type of performance. But just the way that, you know, the media is right now and the way that, you know, draft odds have shaping, um fan bases, like, it kind of sucks that this was the game that it happened. You know, like, the common saying is, you know, why couldn't so, so-and-so do this on this game when there are actual playoff stakes or when we are trying to win? We're, I mean, they're always trying to win. I guess that's the first thing I would say. Nolt's talked about it. These guys are fighting for another contract. They're looking to win games. But number two, I mean, they haven't really been in the playoff hunt these last two seasons anyways. So the whole thing of like, why does it have to be this game? Obviously, it makes sense. Why? Because if the third best odd team gets a number one pick, it's going to be hard to live it down, of course. But every game has the same weight, you know? And what are you rooting for all these guys just shooting two of 11 being total trash for the next month i mean if you're looking long term i guess that could tickle your fancy there but as players you want to see the progression like this is a team that wants to build and you got to build through some of your role players there have been some really good breakthroughs this year off of the bench aaron wiggins went from you know a second round pick g league combine warrior to what he is right now which is a very valuable bench asset we've seen guys such a, as cred go from 18 months of rehab to now showing signs of being an nba player and we've seen just multiple cases of that throughout this season now roby is starting to show success again and he's been good all year don't get me wrong but he's popping off and now it's like People are upset about it. I understand the mindset, and trust me, I can get with that mindset very easily. I think that Oklahoma City should want the highest draft choice. They want to have those draft odds because that's going to lead to better options come draft day and really help a lot, actually, in what the framework of this rebuild will look like. But, you know, don't, don't piss off Roby. You know, don't take it out on that guy. He had a hell of a game, and you have to respect it crazy first quarter for him in the fourth and in overtime just a completely different player he was looking to drive in at will drew eubanks is not used to playing 40 minutes in games he had to by necessity in this one and the wear and tear got to him for roby he's not playing significant stints typically either but he's also not drew eubanks he's not this traditional five you know he is like a four or five he can do it either way Ended up playing a very good cut of the minutes in this one, finished with 38, and he shot 11 of 13 from the floor, 4 of 5 from 3 to get up to those 30 points, and with Wiggins as well, a lot of it came with just attacking the basket at will. 28 points, 5 rebounds, and another career high with 6 assists for him. He went 2 of 6 from 3, which obviously you could see better numbers. But tapping into the twos, he shot 9 of 13, and he went 4 of 5 from the charity stripe. Just gritty as hell around the basket. And same goes for Teo. This didn't look like a game he'd be tallying up double figures, to be honest with you. He was struggling to begin the game. By halftime, I wasn't really looking at him. But once the fourth quarter rolled around, just like with Roby and just like Wiggins, that's when he ignited. He finished the game with 23 points, 10 rebounds, and 5 assists, and he did so shooting 7 of 17 on the floor and 4 of 9 from 3, 5 of 6 from the line as well. So all three levels, he ended up doing pretty damn solid. Came down to the home stretch where you really saw the true colors come out with him. So once again, you know, if you want to peg him as Josh Hall from last year, it's hard to like argue that with you. Like I get that 100%, but you got to respect what he's been doing. I mean, I know some of these games might not have as much weight, especially when you're playing like Brandon Williams in an eight-man Trailblazers lineup, but he really was out of the rotation all year. Now, he's kind of putting up a fight, and he's back into that rotational conversation, I believe, for next year. We have to see how the draft plays out. And the way I always view it, I think this team is constructed for four guards in the active rotation. You're really not going to be able to squeeze a fifth in right now. He'd be four of four currently because you have SGA, you have Josh Giddey, and you have Trey Mann, of course. Maybe he fills in. I think he's over Ty Jerome in my eyes right now. If they select a point guard, that's when it gets interesting. If they select a shooting guard, it gets interesting. But yeah, he's putting a really good fighting chance on right now. Really good resume builder. And honestly, the same goes for Roby because he has been consistent all year. He's probably been like the 12th or 13th man off the bench when he does play. Now you're putting him up a center stage and he's able to contribute. Just killed Drew Eubanks. And if you're going to put a center on for 40 minutes, I think you know that ability, just being big in general, does become sort of a detriment because the mobility aspect won't be there as much but you still have to credit Roby for what he was doing he was playing insanely well and this whole Thunder group was playing well on the night they shot 44.4% on threes 20 of 45 and they had seven members out of their eight in double figures Wiggins had 28 Poku had 11 Roby with his 30 Maladon had 23 Kredgey had 12 Olivier Saar had 12, and Lindy Waters had 12. The only person who didn't score double figures happened to be Jeremiah Robinson. He only had 6 points and 8 rebounds in 15 minutes on this one. Kind of have to work him back into the playing stages, but yeah, this was a well-rounded attack for everybody. Kredge continues to pour it on from 3. He went 4 of 6 from there. Lindy went 4 of 10 on triples, had 4 members drop 4 or more, which... It's pretty damn impressive. Just everyone came into play. And this was a really offensive-oriented game. I think that's the best way to put it. Because OKC shot crazy from three. So did Portland. They shot 40% on the dot there. Went 20 of 50 in all. Eubanks had 27 points and 14 rebounds. Brandon Williams had 25 and 12 assists. And Ben McElmore off the bench. Dropped 28 points on 10 of 22 shooting, eight of 18 from the three-point line. So you know this guy's a pretty lethal shooter. Like he's kind of been on, um, like the back burner of like the shot craters or um, what you're gonna find in the NBA right now. But he still has those games in him, as you could tell. He almost got the Blazers the win, and he almost got a lot of Thunder fans happy for what the future might hold. then I'll go into my like thought process on this whole lottery situation later. I think you have to prioritize those lottery odds, of course, but definitely have to look at what's in front of you and say, you know what, there are some positives you can take away from it. Kind of continue to move that on uh, into the future here. But as I mentioned, that's the 22nd win for the Thunder. Two-game gap between the Detroit Pistons. OKC will play their next game tomorrow against the Atlanta Hawks and then obviously they will play Detroit in what should be a pretty high stakes matchup when they play the Hawks and when they pay, play the Pistons even the rest of the season you can chalk it up as two new players have been added to the injury report and in yesterday's episode I talked about how a new member had been added to the list Josh Giddy. He's been out since the All-Star break, pretty much. So, him being gone makes sense. Two new additions have been tacked on the board, though. First, we learned of Darius Baisley being out for the year, and the same goes for SGA. Starting with Baisley. He ended up suffering a mid-game injury uh, last week, and took him out second quarter, went to the tunnel. Not much was said about it. As we know now, He has suffered a non-displaced tibial plateau fracture in his right knee. That's an injury that typically takes like three to four months with rehab. If you go the surgery route, probably like three months, but that's going to take him out. Obviously there's no timeline produced, so don't take my word for it. Like I'm not really licensed to tell you my analysis on the injury, but it makes sense why he's not going to be returning for him though. This has been a really good bounce back year. The spotlight has been on Roby since this season started. If we were talking about who needed to step up the most, I think Baisley comes to mind potentially as that number one option. Poku might be there, but Baze, I would put him ahead. I, I seriously would put him number one because last season, he was inconsistent. You got probably a stretch of two or three games in January where he was averaging like 18 and a half points and then you never saw that base again maybe at the end of the season you saw the ramp up but it really wasn't there for him last year like just inefficient you couldn't really utilize him from three teams were sagging off and you know the questions started to pop up like is he able to shoot at a high level if he can't shoot can he still get to the basket on power forwards and hell can he even play at the four spot with guys going in the post on him potentially he's been able to dispel a lot of those like naysayers this season it didn't start out that way because let's just call it how it was it was a really rough patch for him up until like the new year couldn't hit shots defensively he did have a good amount of blocks but he was still getting kind of bullied in terms of positioning and because of it He fell out of graces with the lineup. After playing like 90 some odd consecutive games as a starter, Aaron Wiggins took his gig for about two games, and that's exactly what he needed. He turned into OKC's perfect bench guy for about a month or two until injuries kind of forced him back up. But in that span, like January and February, we got to see Baisley at his best. You saw the hard gather really come into fruition for him. He was able to start knocking down these catch-and-shoot jumpers. I think overall, his confidence levels soared back up. So when he returned from the All-Star break this year, he was great. He averaged 13.9 points and 5.5 rebounds post-All-Star break, and he was able to hit some threes along with it. He had three consecutive games just two weeks ago where he had 25-plus points, and he was really just starring for OKC without SGA and really playing alongside Trey Mann there. So he's made himself a valuable asset again. Just finished his third season. He's going into his contract year. He's going to be restricted next year. So an extension should be there. A qualifying offer should be there. But now I think it's fair to say he has earned a little bit more evaluation time. The way that I've seen it is like if you don't believe they're going to be holding that title or you don't think that they are going to be big time with this team probably pass that candle along or pass the torch with bays i don't know if i've ever seen him as like a starter on a championship team but he could definitely be a contributor and he's showing why he's still only 21 years old you gotta remember he didn't take the typical route he was going to high school, then he decided that, you know what, I'm going to be a New Balance intern, so he dodged it. Now he comes to the league, was pretty raw. I think it's fair to say some of that has come off now, and we're starting to see him kind of become more consistent. So it's going to be pivotal that he continues the uh, consistency of play starting out next year, but he's shown a lot uh, from what we've seen probably like just three or four months ago. And with SGA, he's been good all season, man. This is an injury that has kind of been lingering for about the last week or so, probably even longer than a week, probably two or three. And he's just been experiencing ankle soreness. He's been questionable to play in games. If he does end up playing, you're only going to find out probably an hour or two before tip-off. And it's been nagging, man. And what I thought would happen is I thought that he wouldn't play Versus the Orlando Magic last Wednesday. And they would try to sit him five days to play against the Nuggets on Saturday. Because it went from Monday as their last game, Wednesday, then Saturday. They rested him against the Magic. And then they just continued the streak. So he hasn't played in a little bit here. Best to just rest him. This is going to be the second consecutive season. His season has been cut short he had the plantar fascia injury last year that one looked to be uh you know one that was significant it took him out even past the olympic games which was in january so that was big he needed the rehab and he probably should get the rehab necessary this time around as well the games are not worth it to be sacrificing your body especially not with someone like sga who's already established himself sort of as a cornerstone of of what okc is going to be building with in the future but breaking down the end lines for him he ended up playing in 56 games produced 24.5 points 5.9 assists and five rebounds he led the league in drives last year basically the exact same numbers popped out this season as well He's become such an elite player around the basket. He's able to take the contact. If he's not making the shot off a contact, he's going to fall to the ground. He's going to sell it, and he's going to get to the charity stripe. So he's just been lethal there. The one drop-off has been the three-point shot with him, and I guess you could chalk it up as like the situation being a little bit different this year. He's had to be the primary guy, and that's just how it's been for him. You don't see him much in a catch-and-shoot role, so he did end up shooting 30% flat on the season. He shot 42% last year on about the same output, Um, so yeah, that's an area he'd like to tighten up, but this is still a big improvement from what we saw last season. SGA has been the face, and He did a great job. You know, there was a transition period last season where you still had to kind of think of like the Chris Paul days passing to the torch. Torch has been his all season and he has just completely ran with it. Only improvements next year would probably be off of those dribble drives, maybe seeing players uh, on the court maybe as like a kickout option, but this Thunder team has not performed well from three. So his drives, even if he does it a ton in games, Those are going to be the most efficient shots that you're going to find on the floor, and that's going to lead to a lot of big games for him. So I'm stoked for what the future holds with him. He's only 23 years old, still uh, going on that rookie contract. Next year, that's when the paycheck rolls in, but yeah, uh, we will wait and see with SGA. We'll wait and see with Bays. As you look at the list now, you have a grand total of six players out for the remainder of the season. You have Ty Jerome, Mike Muscala, Lou Dort, Josh Giddy, Darius Baisley, and now SGA. The lineup could very well be eight moving forward unless they get a hardship signage. The Oklahoma City Blue finished the regular season on Friday. I don't know if that's worth looking into. Personally, I think it could be because you got a couple more weeks Um, obviously after this one so if you need another player i think that's the best person to find Um, just someone there maybe like a xavier simpson a jamias ramsey rob bedwards jalen horde all the positions have some player there the weakest is a center which is kind of what they need but one through four there is talent available if need be. So I guess I'd watch out for the hardship signing if they choose to go with one. Right now, looks like they just want to continue to play guys 30 minutes and see kind of where they are and if they fit the mold moving forward. And that's going to be fine as well. But that's going to wrap it up for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.